I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue exploring Paul's second missionary journey. We've been looking that he's, he's gone. He's taken on Timothy as a disciple. Uh, God has closed some doors for ministry. They were trying to go to some different places. He shut the doors, and then he opened a door into Macedonia. Paul had a dream in the night of a man calling them, saying, please come help us. And so they've gone to the city of Philippi. They met this lady, Lydia, who was down by the riverside worshiping God, and he explained the gospel to her, and she came to faith, and her and her family were baptized and became followers of Jesus. And then as Paul uh, shared with us last week, they were going through the city proclaiming the gospel, and this demon-possessed fortune teller girl was going ahead of them saying, these men proclaim the way of salvation, but it was, it was, uh, it was weird. <laughs> it was, it was demon-oriented. And so after a time, finally, Paul cast this demon out of the girl and when her owners realized that they weren't going to be able to make money on her anymore, that they had lost the ability to profit from her, uh, they rose up a crowd against Paul and Silas, and they were beaten and they were thrown into prison. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. But, but let's begin with a word of prayer just to, to prepare our hearts this morning. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence and to, to consistently, week after week, come and open up your word and, and study it with a desire to know you better, uh, to, a desire to draw close to you, a desire to um, just to experience you in a new and a fresh way. And God, and so I pray that you will open our eyes and you will open our hearts and that you will uh, just, just transform us this morning, God. We don't want to leave the same that we walked in the door. We want to we have your perspective. We want to have your power. Uh, we want to have your presence in our life. Uh, God, I just pray that you would uh, just equip us in a new and a fresh way this morning and that your spirit would would speak to us, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to pick up uh, with a little bit of, just for context purposes, uh, a couple of the verses that we studied last week and then carry forward into the next part of this account of Paul and Silas. And so, as, as I had said, they'd cast the demon out of the girl, and their owners got mad, and they, and they kind of rose the town up against them. And so, picking up in verse 22, it says this. It says, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly... There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, when we come to study this, I find this to be one of the most amazing accounts of a, of a miracle in the Bible. And knowing much of what's in the Bible, it, it, it may not seem like that at first because we know that uh, there's the miracle of creation, that out of nothing God created everything. We know that there's the resurrection of Jesus from the grave and then when Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave and, and, and the parting of the Red Sea and all the plagues that came upon Egypt. And so there was, there was some amazing miracles in Scripture. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for God. But what amazes me in this one is, is the human factor. It's what Paul and Silas were doing, right? What, what does it say there in verse 25? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that amazing? How many of us, if we were 
if we were beaten with rods severely and then taken and thrown into the inner prison down in the hole, right? There's no light and we're fastened in these stocks that keep us from turning and we're, and we're being tortured. How many of us around midnight are going to be singing hymns of praise to God, right? Can anybody say like, yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely what I would be doing in that situation, right? Like it's, it's so foreign to how we would typically respond that we've got to look at this and say, what is going on different? What, what did they have that we can grab a piece of? How could I go through a struggle in a difficult situation and respond to it in the same way that they're responding? Because keep in mind, they didn't know the earthquake was coming. Maybe they were praying for it. Maybe they knew that God could do it, but they didn't know that he was going to do it. They were just praising him in the midst of it. I think this is so amazing. So, so it's a really a simple thing as, as we come to this passage today. The question is how? How can I experience struggles and difficulties and trials and persecution and go through it in the same way that Paul and Silas were going through it in this passage? And the first thing that, that I think that, that we have to look at comes out of the context of the story. It begins with the fact that they, they had a clear conscience before the Lord. The first thing was that, that, that they were not suffering as a result of their own sins. That it wasn't their disobedience to God. It wasn't their waywardness. It wasn't, it wasn't something they had done that had brought this difficulty upon them. You guys remember the story of Jonah, right? And, 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 and the, 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 the account in the Old Testament where Jonah was given a clear command from God to go to Nineveh and proclaim the gospel and he chose to go the exact opposite direction. And so he gets on a boat, and, uh, and he goes to sleep, and then suddenly this huge storm comes, and these waves, and the sailors, who were sea, seafaring men, right? They weren't, they weren't easily scared, and they were scared to death. They said, we've never seen anything like this, and we're about to die. And so they wake Jonah up, and they say, hey, the, the boat is going down. If you have a God, pray to him. And he said, hey, I know why this happened. <laughs> this is happening because of my disobedience. And if you throw me overboard, it'll all come to an end. And and they didn't want to do it, but ultimately they did, and he was right. It, it brought a calm to the seas, right? So, so he understood that it was the result of his sin. And so when we engage in sin, when we know what's right, but we choose to do what's wrong, or we know what's right and we choose not to do it, it robs us of our joy. When we come into difficulties and, and struggles, we always have to wrestle like, okay, is, man, is this... Why is this happening? Is this, is this a result of what I've done? Am I bringing this upon myself? Am I just suffering the just uh, results of the sin that I've been engaging in? And it's, and it's a different perspective, right, than, than saying like, uh, hey, you know, I, I want to sin because I, I want God to accept me, and I don't know if he accepts me, uh, so I, so I got to stop sinning so that I can know that God will accept me. That's not what the gospel is. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't say stop sinning so that God will accept you. The gospel says through Jesus Christ, God has accepted you. So stop sinning. Stop entangling yourself. Stop, stop twisting yourself up. Stop hindering your walk forward. Look at, I want to show you what, what, what it says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through, through 20. It says this. It says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if, you, if when you do good and, and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What Peter's saying here is, like, hey, if you, if you rob a bank 
nobody's going to look at you and be like, oh, wow, look at, look at the gracious way that he endured that trial and, and his time in prison. What a model, right? That's how I want to be. If I ever have to go to, to prison, I want to do it just like him, the way that he did. You know, he robbed that bank and then he paid, he paid the time. No, nobody admires that, right? No, you, you do the crime, you do the time, right? That's how, that's how we look at it. But when you suffer unjustly, when you're doing what is righteous and you suffer, it says it's a gracious thing in the eyes of God. And so for my, my first encouragement for you this morning is just to think about, hey, is there stuff that I've just allowed in my life? Am I engaging in things that are robbing me of my joy? Am I, am I doing things that every time something bad comes along that I have to wonder, like, God, am I bringing this on myself? Is this the result of my sin? Because I, God, God isn't standing up there just waiting to, to punish us. Like, oh, you got out of line. Boom, I'm going to hit you with this, right? But, but every once in a while, because of his love, because of his graciousness, he allows us to feel the weight of our sins. He allows us to feel the penalty for our sin so that we'll repent of it and we'll turn away from it. Right? It's like letting your child touch something uh, hot so that they learn not to do it. Now, I would never do that, right? But, but you get the, the idea, right? So, sometimes you allow somebody to experience the penalty of their sin so that they'll learn not to do it anymore. And sometimes God does, does that with us. But, but I would ask you, is there, is there something in your life this morning? Is God bringing something to your heart? Is there, is there, is there, is, is there something that every time, because Satan loves to use that. Whenever you get into, in, into a difficult situation, instead of being able to praise God, he loves to turn that and you say, hey, you know why this is happening, right? because you're doing that thing. God's never going to accept you while you're doing that thing. He likes to lie and, and twist, and, and our sin always pulls us, and it distances us from God. So that instead of going to him in praise and saying, God, I'm, I'm suffering, I don't know why, but I'm going to praise you through it. I'm going to praise you despite it. I'm going to draw near to you. Now, sin, sin pulls us away from it. It says, God doesn't want to hear from you. It's a lie. He does want to hear from you. He wants you to draw near to him. He wants you to draw close, but sin separates from us. So, so we've got to begin there. Paul and Silas were in a position where they're like, we know God calls us to the city. We know that we're proclaiming his name. We know that he wanted us to cast that demon out of that girl. And so if we're in prison, it's not the result of us missing the mark. It's something, God must be doing something else here. And that brings in hope. And that gives us a chance to say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust that you're doing something great here. So we begin there. The second thing that we've got to see here, we've got to, we've got to put sin away. The other way that we, we praise God in the midst of this struggle is that we believe that God has the power to break chains. Do we believe that? I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know the story, right? That, that they were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they say, Oh, king, here's the deal. We're not going to bow down to you. <laughs> and our God has the power to save, this, uh, save us from this. We know that he can save us, and if he chooses to, he will. But whether he does or not, we're going to choose obedience. We're not going to bow down to you. That is incredible faith that God could do anything. He could save them. It says that when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him, he did it with the knowledge that God has the ability to raise the dead. And so he said, God, I don't understand why you're calling me to take my son, my only son who I love, up to the mountain to sacrifice him. But, but if you call me to go through with it, I'm going to believe that you're going to raise him from the dead. That, this, that Throughout Scripture, we see that there's this incredible power in knowing and believing that nothing is impossible with God. And this is the part that will really preach in this passage, right? This is the part that, that you can get excited about. That God breaks the chains. But it also brings in this, this interesting element of... of, of 
where their praise preceded the, ch the chain breaking, right? What was the series of events? They were persecuted, and they were thrown into prison. And while they were in prison, they were praying, and they were singing hymns, and they were praising God. And then the chains fell off of them. And so the natural question we have to ask is, okay, is this a prescription for how we, how we handle this situation? If I want the chains in my life to be broken off, if I want to break free from the prison that I'm in, is the answer that I need to praise God in the midst of the situation, and that's how he will break the chains. Well, we've got to look at Scripture for this, and, and there's actually a lot of accounts in Scripture where people are thrown in prison. And as far as I can tell, this is the only place where a prison break was facilitated by singing, right? I don't remember any other accounts. In fact, there's an account with Peter in Acts 12. We studied this a, a year or two ago where he was thrown in prison. People were praying for him, and Peter took a nap. Peter's sleeping in the middle of the night, and an angel comes and shakes him. He's like, hey, hey, I broke your chains off. Let's go. And he goes over to the door, and he's like, come on, let's, let's go out the door. And Peter's like, All right, wait, is this a dream? What's going on? You know, he has, he has no clue, right? And so, so in that case, he wasn't up all night praying and praising God. He was, he was sleeping. He was slumbering, and God broke him out. And so, so I would argue that this is not, if we're looking for a formula of, God, how do you break chains? I would say this is not the formula to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't praise God. I would encourage you, absolutely, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of, of hard circumstances, pray and praise God. Absolutely. We should do that. We should call that. Uh, we should call out to God. We should ask him to free us. But, but there's a temptation here to say the formula is when we're persecuted, we praise God, the chains are broken, we get freedom, and we escape from the difficulty. Right? We think, and so we try and apply that to our life. And we're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm feeling, I have this illness. I've been diagnosed with this thing. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's enchaining me. I feel, I feel trapped by it. And so I'm looking here, and so I'm going to apply this formula. I'm going to praise you, and then you're going to break these chains, and then I'm going to be free, and I'm going to escape from this difficulty. But the question is, what happens if the chains don't come off? What happens if you praise God, and you pray to God, but he doesn't send an earthquake. Then you're left saying, all right, well, either God failed or I failed. Which one of us failed? <laughs> Did I not praise him the right way? Did I not praise him enough? Did I need to pray more? Did I have some sort of sin that I didn't know about that, that, that maybe hindered my prayers? Or was God not listening? Does he not love me? Does he not have the power to do it? Have any of you guys ever felt that way in the midst of a struggle? Have you, have you had those thoughts in your mind? Like, why am I going through this? Right? If we look at the passage that way as a prescription for how to get out of it, then, then, then we're going to be uh, trying to manipulate God. And, and, I'm, and like, once again, like I said, I'm not trying to discourage you from praying and praising God in the midst of the storm. Absolutely. But if you look at that formula, here's what's broken in that formula. I praise God, the chains are broken, I'm set free, and I escape from the persecution. So what's the ultimate goal in that formula? Escape, right? I'm using my praise for God as a way to get to the place that I want to get to. And we all do this sometimes. But Scripture is never going to point us in that direction. And so what were they looking for? If the ultimate goal was not escape, what was their ultimate goal? Let's continue on in the passage in Acts 16, picking up in verse 27. So God sent the earthquake, the chains fell off, the doors flew open, 
And then verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, uh, the jailer, when he awoke, and, and the earthquake probably woke him up, right? And he sees the open prison doors. Uh, contextually, we have to understand that for this Roman jailer, if all those prisoners had escaped under his watch, the penalty would have been death for him. Uh, his life would have been uh, taken in exchange for the lives that he had allowed to escape. And if that happened, his family would lose everything. They wouldn't get his, his military pension. They, they, would, they would lose all the stuff. And so, uh, so they were going to lose out. But if he fell on his own sword, that was considered an honorable death. And so by doing that, he would be securing a future for his family, that his family wouldn't lose out on everything. And so, so in this moment, as crazy as it seems, the soldier is trying to do something honorable. He said, hey, the doors are open. The prisoners have escaped. I'm going to lose my life one way or the other. But if I do it this way, at least I can provide for my family. And yet, this voice cries out, hey, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now, this is the second amazing thing in this passage, right? It's not just Paul and Silas saying, hey, 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 we're still here. We are all here. Remember said that the other prisoners were listening to them praying and singing. And now, something else amazing happens. A bunch of prisoners have had their chains fall off and the doors fly open. And somehow, Paul and Silas talked them into not running out of the prison. And Scripture doesn't tell us how they did that or what that conversation looked like. Uh, you know, we, we can speculate, and I don't know if that's helpful or not. <laughs> but, you know, maybe the conversation went a little bit like, hey, hey, you guys know that our God is the one who, who did this. And uh, so if you're here unjustly, if you're a righteous person and you've been imprisoned unjustly, go ahead and run out the door. <laughs> and the guys were probably like... No, that's, that's not me, right? It's like, let the one without sin cast the stone. We, we don't know what they said to them, but all the prisoners remained in there. And this, this blows the mind. And so we see here the third thing, right? We don't allow our sin to entangle us. We believe that God has the power to break chains. But number three, we understand that if God frees us, it's ultimately for his glory, not just for our comfort, not just for our benefit. But when he does something, when we're entering into a part of his story, if he does it, then the end result is going to be for his glory, not just for our escape. God had lives he wanted to touch through this. And so the jailer calls for lights, verse 29. The jailer called for lights and he rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. He comes with this question, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And we might come to this passage saying, hey, I'm, I'm being persecuted, I'm enchained, I'm in bondage, I'm, I'm struggling. God, what do I have to do to get out of this? It's our human nature, right? We were, we're doers. We just want, we want to know, what, what do I have to do? What's the steps? What's step one, two, three, four to get to where I want to go? They say, no, 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 it's not about doing. Believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Some of you may have come in here this morning, and you might be saying, you know, I, I, I feel this tugging in my heart. I feel that I, I know that there's a God. 
I don't believe this is a giant cosmic accident that the right particles and molecules combined in the right way and, and then the right fish had the right gill that turned into a leg and, and, then, and then ultimately somehow through this cosmic accident, here we are today with, with, uh, with Netflix and Coca-Cola and uh, that, that all of this just happened by accident. I, I don't believe that. And, and I feel that I'm separated from God and, and, and I just want to know what do I have to do to be right with him? And maybe that's what drove you here today. And I want to encourage you with the same words that Paul and Silas shared, that, that what needs to be done for salvation has been done by Jesus Christ. Jesus has done what was required for you to be right with God. I'm not going to tell you that you have to start praying every day. I'm not going to tell you that you have to read the Bible from cover to cover. I'm not going to tell you that you have to, to do a bunch of good works to pay for all the sin that you've done. What I'm going to tell you is that you need to believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins. And ultimately, to believe in Jesus means that when we die and we go and stand before the creator of the universe, that we can say to him, hey, I tried pretty hard, but I know I failed. I had some moments that, that I felt were pretty good, but I, but I had a lot of bad ones. And uh, based on my own record, I'm not worthy to enter into your kingdom. But I believe that Jesus did live a perfect life and that he did die for my sins. And I believe that you forgive me because of what he's done. And I don't deserve reward, but I believe that you will give me the reward that Jesus deserved as a free gift because that's what Jesus said, and I believe that. That's what the Bible says is salvation. It's not about doing. It's about believing. Are you in that spot today, like the jailer? Are you coming in just saying, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul and Silas' answer to you is believe, and I would share the same thing, and today is the day. <laughs> you don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to study up. You simply place your faith in Jesus Christ today and walk with him as your Lord and as your Savior. Look what it says in verse 32. He brought them out. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He believed in Jesus. He heard the good news of the gospel. And he immediately responded by being obedient in baptism. He said, Jesus, I don't just believe that you're my Savior. I now believe that you're my Lord. You're my King. What you command, I will do. And the first command was to be, to be baptized as a sign of that faith that he's placing him. You might be here today, and you may not have, have followed through in that step of obedience in baptism. And maybe God is trying to speak to you this morning to say to you, hey, if you want to walk forward, if I am your Savior and I am your King, then I want you to be obedient in baptism. We would love to do that. There's nothing we would love more as a church than to celebrate baptism with you, to celebrate that step of obedience. We'll get the tub out. We'll do a second service. You come up to me after the service. Let's do it, right? There was, there was an immediacy into what they were doing. That very night, he went and he got baptized. 
The passage ends this way in Acts 16, verse 35. It says, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came, and they apologized to them, and they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, and they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. This is, to me, the, the third really surprising thing in this passage, right? Look at the language here that, that, that the jailer says, hey, they, they've said you can come out. And he says, no, have them come and take us out. And ultimately, they, they went out. So after all this happened, the, the earthquake comes, the chains fall off. They get brought out of the prison. They baptize this man and his household. In the morning, where are Paul and Silas? They're back in jail, right? They go through this incredible night of sharing Jesus with his family, see his lives transformed, and they get done, and they're like, okay, take us back to our prison cell. Why? Why would they go back to jail? They did what they came to do. They, they impacted this life. Wouldn't you be like, hey, all right, before the sun comes up, before we get in any more trouble, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head for the hills. Well, we're going we're gonna to roll out of here, right? I believe they, had a, they, they understood that they had an opportunity to secure a blessing for the church. The, the, the leaders of the city had shown that they were opposed to the Christian faith, that they were opposed to anyone who would speak the gospel and before they left town, Paul and Silas wanted to make sure that this new fledgling church that had just got planted, that had just got started, was going to be secure, that it was going to have some protection. And so they have the magistrates come down to jail, and I'm sure that they probably played up the injuries a little bit and be like, oh, hold on, <laughs> got to come out. I'm, I'm still suffering a little bit from all those rod beatings that we took yesterday, right? And before they left, they probably said, hey, um, there's a church. It might not look like much to you. It's a, it's a, a wealthy lady that sells purple stuff. It's a, it's a slave girl that used to be a demon-possessed fortune teller, and it's a Roman jailer. That's our church, but we want you to leave them alone. We want them to, to be able to worship without fearing persecution from you. Are you, are you guys going to be okay with that? Right? That, that they, they, they wanted to make sure that the church was going to be okay. I just think about the beauty of that church. What an awesome little church that was, Right? That's a, that's a picture. When we think about Riverside and what we want Riverside to be, uh, uh, would, would those people feel welcome here? Would someone who's wealthy and accomplished in business feel welcome here? Would somebody who's, who's coming out of demonic oppression and the occult, would they feel welcome here? Would, would somebody who has been giving their life and service to something other than, than Christ, a, a devoted follower of something else, would they feel welcome here? I'd like to believe the answer is yes. I look around the room and I see uh, really bizarre relationships that would not exist apart from Jesus Christ. The people that have nothing in common except that they recognize that Jesus is their Savior and he died for them. And that's the, the kind of church that we want to be. And as new people continue to walk through these doors, it's my prayer that every week we would have that heart and say, whoever walks through that door today, we should welcome them. And the more different we are from each other, the more we should celebrate that. The more calls for joy that should be. The more difference there is in this church, the more evidence there is of Jesus' ability to reach anyone 
anywhere. Celebrate that. Take two minutes after the service today and say hi to somebody that you don't know. Find the person who looks the least like you in this whole room and go find them and say, man, I can't believe we're here together, but this is awesome. Now you're going to feel awkward about the people that come and talk to you after the service, right? <laughs> like, wait, I thought we were cool. Like, what, you, you think we're really different? Right? Forget I said that, but do greet each other. We need to have a heart for, for welcoming in this church, right? We need, to, we need to make everyone feel welcome in this church. And we all bear our responsibility in doing that. As we conclude, I, I just want you to see something really awesome, and it's really, it's really, it's really powerful in that we have a perfect example of this. I, I want to go back to that First Peter 2 passage that we looked at earlier, and I want to, I want to show you how that, that, that passage concludes. We already looked at the beginning of it, right? For this is a gracious thing, First Peter 2, 19 to 25. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure but if when you do good and suffer, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Look at this, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Everything we just saw in this passage we see perfectly in Jesus. That Jesus lived without the entanglements of sin. And because he died for our sin, the call here is to live in righteousness. He bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Live, live a while without sin because Jesus took that sin to the cross. Jesus always believed and always knew that, that, that the Father could do anything that he desired. He could turn water to wine. He could feed the 5,000. He could part the sea. He could walk away. Jesus had the power to do all things. He never lived in doubt of that. But he always knew that he was, he was a part of something bigger than his own comfort. When Satan came and tempted him, that's what he tempted him with. He said, hey, you can do this the easy way. You can make yourself comfortable. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. You're hungry? Turn those stones into bread. But Jesus knew that he came on mission not for himself, but for each of us. As Jesus was being tortured and beaten, as the crown of thorns was placed on his head, as he was led up that hill, as he was nailed to the cross, there was never a moment where the chains were fastened, where the door wasn't open. At any moment, he had the power to walk away, yet he endured. He didn't use his freedom as an opportunity to escape. He used his freedom as an opportunity to procure blessing for us, to protect his church. And we're called to walk in his footsteps. He did it for us so that we can do it for others.